Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, Nick and everybody. (laughs) No, no. You warned me. You did warn me. I know. Off air, before we started this episode, I leaned away from the mic and whispered, I have the worst pun. And that is it. We can guarantee that that will be the worst pun of the show today. Uh, This is, of course, Ridiculous History. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. And today... We are talking about Heineken. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Heineken. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's Miller Lite. <laughs> right, right, right. We really need to refresh those. Ads. Oh, yeah. Are we going to? Yeah, we. you know what? We're already rolling. Let's just do Let's just do the show and hope Miller doesn't get mad at us. I'm sure it's fine. We have a good relationship with Miller. And, and we uh, have a great story for you today about Heineken. And Heineken, or Heineken Lager Beer, is a internationally known... Pale lager, 5% alcohol by volume. You've seen it. It's got that iconic green bottle with the red star. Out of the Netherlands, Holland. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the company itself dates way back to 1864 when a guy named Gerard Adrian Heineken convinced his mom to buy a brewery in Amsterdam. Yeah, it's called the Haystack Brewery, and that was the beginning of the of the Heineken story, but it wouldn't be for many, many more years that it would become the ubiquitous brand that we know it as today. Right. If we're looking for a person to thank for the international popularity of Heineken and the modern-day Heineken as we understand it, then we should tip our collective hats to Alfred Henry Heineken, known as Freddie, to his friends. to his friends, in the press. Yeah. It was one of those, like, names and quotes, you know, it'd be Mm -hmm. like Alfred Freddie Heineken. Yeah, yeah. He strikes me as the type of guy who probably said, call me Freddie. Call me Freddie. My parents call me Alfred when I'm in trouble. Exactly. You know what I mean? But the thing about Freddie which I'm going to call him that because it's just more fun. I mean, Um, we've given him enough money over the years, Noel. I think we can call him Freddie. You know I'm not a Heineken guy? 
I'm not either, but I dabbled in college. I think I said it in the last episode, mm-hmm. the the quote from Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to go into again here, but I'm I'm more of a Paps guy. Yeah. I'm going to drink a... A beer. A beer, because I'm not even really a beer guy. I'm more of a whiskey guy. Yeah. But we digress. So Freddie... Yeah, Freddie. The reason he elevated this company to the meteoric stature that, that it is today in the, the world of beer is because he had a really good eye for branding. Mm-hmm. He is the one that oversaw the uh, that label that you that you know so well um, with the star and the Heineken uh, logo, but more importantly, that iconic green bottle. Yeah, the iconic green bottle was his call, and he's pretty open about it because he always had this eye for marketing, and he said himself several times in public that if he had not been in the brewing business, he would have been an ad man because he was personally fascinated by this. And, you know, obviously he was pretty good at it. And just to backtrack ever so slightly, it was in 1933 when Prohibition was repealed that Heineken first kind of came into the uh, the American market mm-hmm. and has been one of the top-selling brands ever since. But because of Freddie's ad man sensibilities that you just mentioned, um, he really took everything to the next level. By 1960, they were selling like a a million cases of beer a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, it's more in the neighborhood of 50 million cases a year. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the top 10 beers in the world by volume. And one thing that I really respect about Freddie is that he was not just a boardroom boss. He went out in the streets himself. Uh, as we see in the obituary on Alfred Heineken from the New York Times by Paul Meller, shortly after World War II, Freddie went to New York himself and he walked around Manhattan personally handing out Heineken to bartenders. Like he's the king of the company, basically. Yeah, yeah and, he's in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And... He says that his two years he spent in New York changed his life. He was a big traveler, which is a, a huge part of our episode, too. Not only did he learn about the export market, but he also found the love of his life, a lady named Lucille Cummins, who was the daughter of a whiskey-making family in Kentucky. So I, I think it's a, a really neat coincidence that they were both from these Oh, I almost said alcoholic families. Alcohol manufacturing families. I bet they threw great parties. Oh, I bet they did, Noel. And now, as we said, it's one of the three global giants in the world of beer. I think it's second only to... Anheuser-Busch? Uh, no, in terms of ex- imported beers, I think uh, it's second to Corona, I want to say. Ooh. This is number one. Uh, that, that could be an old stat. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Not what today's story is about. Today's story is about a trip that Freddie took in 1960 uh, to an island called Curacao. Did I say that right? Curacao? Yeah. Curacao? I think it's Curacao. Uh, just because I remember having it on uh, like a Cool Stuff on a Planet episode a million years ago. Thanks, man. That's been Casey on the Case. Bum, bum. I love that segment. It's so good. And it's and we need it, too. We really do need it. It's not like I couldn't have just, like, Googled, you know, the pronunciation. <laughs> but, no, it's better. We have the human touch from Casey Pegram. Like Freddie Heineken said, we don't sell beer. We sell warmth. That's right. Casey, did you see that quote? I did. It's wonderful. And Casey is warmth personified. So, yes. in 1960, mm-hmm. he took a trip. God, I've already forgotten. What is it again, Casey? Curacao. Casey on the case. Boom. Curacao in the Caribbean Sea, Mm -hmm. um, which sounds like a lovely place, except at the time, 
wasn't quite so lovely because they in this country did not have the infrastructure for garbage disposal, let alone recycling, right? Yeah, it was tough. He said that he, he was walking on the beach and it's like a vacation for him. Heineken is popular there, by the way. And he was alarmed because he said he could barely walk 15 feet without stepping on a littered Heineken bottle. That's right. According to uh, Housing for the Millions by John Habracken and the SAR, um, he experienced the slums of of this this island, and there were just mountains of garbage. According to this this book, just surrounding everything. Not to mention the beaches, as you say, were just littered with Ooh. trash many of which were those iconic green bottles. And that wasn't a good look as far as Freddie was concerned. He felt like he needed to do something about it. Right, and it speaks very highly to his character. Now, back at this time, it was common for bottles to be reused. So you would drink a beer, and then you would take the bottle back somewhere and it would be refilled and resold. And yes, it, I saw it was like it would make a return round trip to the brewery like dozens of times potentially, right? Yeah, like up to 30 times or so. Mm-hmm. And the problem there that bedeviled him so much was that he knew there had to be a solution. And so he and John Habricken, the architect and author that we just mentioned, he and Habrican partnered up together to try to find a multi-purpose solution. So not just to clean up the litter on the beach and the island, not just to mitigate the bottle waste that littered the place, but also to help provide building materials because a lot of these people were living in what we would call shanty towns. That's right, like the the, the slums we were talking about earlier, um, as mentioned in this book. And the title of this book should give you a little clue. Housing for the Millions is this idea of creative solutions to housing crises. And this is exactly what he set out to do with a crazy idea he liked to refer to as the Wobo. The Wobo, yes. The rectangular Heineken world bottle. That's right. It was uh, it was meant to serve as a regular beer bottle. So you would buy it and you would drink beer. But then once you were done with it, you could also use the bottle the same way you would use a brick. So you could build, hypothetically, rooms, houses, shelter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. entirely out of Heineken beer bottles. And we can describe a little bit about the um, the specifics of the bottle, which you can still see on display at the uh, Heineken Museum. Yeah, they sort of had these little notches or, or like little bumps, I guess, mm-hmm. that, that could interlock. It wasn't like a Lego brick exactly. They didn't like snap into each other. But the idea was that you could apply cement or mortar and it would it would bond these together pretty easily and yes of course they're stackable and if you can picture them um they really do look exactly like bricks when they're stacked because the there's a recess at the end so that the nozzle or the part you drink from nozzles not the, the right word the, the, the mouth hole Neck. That's <laughs> yeah. that's way more um, dignified. Would fit into the divot at the bottom on one end, so they would be completely flush, and they would be staggered like bricks. And they came in two sizes, 350 and 500 milliliters, so that you could use some shorter bricks if necessary during construction. A 10-foot by 10-foot building structure 
would take approximately 1,000 bottles to build. First off, depending on how you feel about Heineken, that's either great or really inconvenient because that's a lot of beer. You know what I mean? It's true. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. When he was thinking about this, they got into some very interesting industrial design. I love uh, the mention of the recessed divot and the shorter neck. It looks so it looks like a rounded rectangle, almost like a, a whiskey bottle, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And this led us to ask uh, another fascinating question, which is why are beer bottles round? It turns out there's a there's a great answer. The bottles are made by blowing air under high pressure into a glob of glass or plastic, but that, you know, beer is going to be in glass, sure. right? And it expands outward in all directions until it hits this mold where it solidifies. And the structure of the round shape distributes pressure much better. So a bottle is less likely to break. Which is kind of the same reason eggs are spheres. That's right. And I imagine there's also sort of a tactile element there, too, where it's easier to grip a round thing than a uh, squared off thing. Oh, good call. I don't know. It's just, just, that just occurs to me. But, Ben, so are you saying that to make these oddly shaped bottles would be 
a more complex manufacturing process and potentially more expensive for the Heineken company? Yeah. Anytime you're doing a significant shift in uh, mass production, there's going to be an upfront associated cost. And then also people as groups, consumers tend to be adverse to change. And one of the problems that people had with the Heineken bottle internally, not consumers, internally, Heineken said they thought it might be too effeminate. Did you see that part? I did. Did you see the amazing retort from <laughs> uh, uh, Cabinet Magazine? Yes. Yeah. Just, Did you read it to us? Yeah, just saying that this was a very strange um, critique, quote, considering that the bottle consisted of two bulbous compartments surmounted by a long shaft. Da-da-da-da. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But they went through several different prototypes, um, and a ton of them, or all of them except one ultimately, were rejected by the board um, because they – because of the thing that I just described a minute ago, that this was a, a costly manufacturing process. It wasn't what uh, executives like to call scalable. Right. And they were pursuing two different aims to make an effective construction material, a reliable, effective construction material, and then also to make a cost effective container for, you know, their main product, this alcoholic beverage known as Heineken. And on the way, they attempted to make several fixes. Significantly, they thickened the glass because, you know, these bottles are supposed to be laid horizontally when they're bricks. And they were attempting to – their mission on the beer side was an attempt to bring the cost per bottle down to the established cost per bottle of the existing cylindrical design – and they just couldn't do it. Yeah, I would imagine that would be very difficult. From the point of Heineken's infrastructure, it's already cheaper and faster to make the bottles the way they were already being made. And to the point that we brought up earlier in this great Smithsonian article, uh, the author speculates that what most likely worked against Habrican's design was that customers just liked how easy it was to hold the cylindrical bottle. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so I, I think you're on the money with that. And have we talked about the how many, how many milliliters these contain? Were these these yeah. weren't like these weren't like uh, tall boys? These were like a reg meant to have the same amount of liquid as the standard Heineken would. Right? Yeah, yeah, in the two sizes I had mentioned earlier. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and. That, that also becomes weird because then you have to ask, is the consumer just purposely buying a smaller beer because they need to build their literal glass house? That's the other thing. These are literal glass houses. And the brick bottles themselves, because of these various cost objections and because of concerns about how consumers would react to them, these brick bottles never got onto the consumer market. But – People remained impressed by the idea, so much so that in 1965, they built a prototype house out of these bottles near, uh, near one of Alfred Heineken's houses in Amsterdam. Are you talking about the little uh, shed with like a corrugated metal roof and yeah. the tiny little four-pane window thing? Yeah, it's not – just it's like just the walls – are built out of the bottles. Yeah. And we haven't really talked about, like, logistically, surely this wouldn't offer much insulation from, like, the elements and stuff like that, right? Like, I, I know 
glass does offer a certain amount of insulation, but these wouldn't be completely airtight, would they? I, I don't know. I, mean, I guess if they were mortared together, they would. But mm. it just seems like they would get really cold if if it was, you know, winter. If your whole house is made of a material like that, unless you added some extra insulation on the inside, it seems like it would be pretty, pretty nasty. Now, I know there are some, there are some structures that use plastic bottles to provide, um, to provide cooling. But yeah, obviously there's a reason that people tend to rely more on things like wood and stone. So I did read that they produced 50,000 of these that were meant for production, mm. but they never made it past that stage. Why, why do you think that is? I couldn't see a detail. Like, why they make so many and they just never bothered putting them out there? Well, again, because the cost concern, it didn't have scale. So and they made the 50,000 as a test to see, like, a test run or something they like got, that? It seems it, like a yeah, lot. They got close, yeah, right? I see. But, but then also, you know, these guys are making millions and millions of these every year, or the cylindrical ones at least. And then also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the concern that consumers just wouldn't react well to the change. However, something very, very inspiring here, because although Freddie may have ultimately not succeeded in creating this reusable brick bottle, other companies have. And there's a company called EM1UM that succeeded. They were mostly successful in Argentina. They've received numerous awards for their bottle designs. They make bottles that are prisms, cubes, cylinders. And, you know, it's, I think this kind of smart, conscious, dare I say woke construction has some some real potential for the future, man. Other companies are doing it too. Uh, a French design company tried to resurrect the Wobo design by making a cube. Yeah, it looks kind of like a gas canister, and it uh, I, I can't quite tell the scale or the size of it, but I feel like this would be almost more like a growler size of beer yeah. rather than like for an individual. And their reasoning behind doing this was making them stackable so that they would travel easier and, and be able to, uh, you know, put in the back of your car for a, you know, family gathering or something and not have them clinking around in a cooler yeah. or something like that. Uh, not sure how well this did. I've certainly never seen one of these out in the, out, out in the world. And, and, you know, you also have to wonder how inconvenient or convenient is it to drink beer from a cube? So I have a question for you, Noel, Casey, and all ridiculous historians listening now. When you were in school, did you ever encounter milk in a bag? Yeah, I think we've seen this come up before. Yeah, it's so I'm still yeah. mystified by it's it. Super weird. It looks like some sort of medical supply. It looks like some sort of medical implant. Yeah, and then me. and there's a little hole with a perforated edge that you stick your straw into, and then you drink the milk from the bag. Yeah. Did you ever have any of those, Casey? No, ours were just in the paper carts, which also yeah. kind of vaguely grossed me out. I had that too, but I remember early for me, I, there was a brief period of bag milk. Yeah, I, I don't know what kind of backroom deal occurred between dairy suppliers and local governments, but that that's my number one uh, personal example of a time when a relatively small design philosophy or mm -hmm. approach made a big difference. Oh, funny, this Heineken cube uh, that we were just talking about, that kind of like, um, again— not seeing these anywhere, but it, it was it was handheld. It was just a personal size. It wasn't bigger. You could um, tell with the yeah. bottle cap. Right? I see it now. Yeah. And also, well, there's a there's a picture of a guy pouring it uh, into a glass, 
and then also drinking directly from it, which looked super awkward because the, what do you call it, the neck, I'm going to go with mouth hole, is recessed in a, in a kind of odd way, and it seems like a very strange thing to hold in your hand. Yeah, it's just in one of the top corners. And while this housing trend that, that uh, Freddie was so fond of or thought was such an innovative idea, which it was, um, never really took off, there's a pretty cool example that I've seen cited in every article that, that, that tells this story. Um, it is a temple in Thailand mm-hmm. that's made entirely out of uh, Heineken bottles and also the local Thai beer, Chang. Uh, Chang. And I think to date, it's like over a million bottles making mm-hmm. this thing up and it's ornate and like all these kind of almost mandala-esque, like, stained glass-looking patterns, and they even use the bottle caps to make more of these kind of designs. And if you didn't really, like, really look closely, you would not know what it was made of. It's beautiful, and it's it's way bigger than you think it is, right? No, it's crazy. And apparently they continue to build onto it with these discarded bottles. Mm -hmm. So at least that vision that Freddie had of, like, taking this stuff and turning it into something else in Mm -hmm. an interesting way is happening at least in one kind of off-the-wall example. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running, but it it still was like a, 
a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now. Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So Freddie Heineken's life, uh, while it was replete with these amazing progressive acts in terms of design and marketing. It wasn't all roses and angel harps. He had several uh, misadventures and unfortunate events, probably the most famous of which was the time that he and his chauffeur were kidnapped in 1983 by a criminal organization in the Dutch underworld. I thought you were going to say the netherworld of the Netherlands. Yeah, if you, having Netherlands on my mind yeah, is, is as weird. A, as well they should be. Yeah. Um, this is a, a, a bizarre story. Um, he and his, his uh, chauffeur were snatched up and taken to a warehouse where they were chained um, to in, in concrete cells for three weeks. And it turns out this whole thing was orchestrated by a Dutch gangster, a criminal mastermind by the name of Wilhelm Hollidier, who is described in an article on The Guardian as being a cold, vulgar killer who had a bit of a, a public persona that was uh, kind of almost celebrity-like. Yeah, he was like a comic supervillain. He even had a cool villain nickname. The nose. The nose. Due, due to the size of his nose. In, yeah. in this article by Daniel Boffey, they explore some of his exploits. There's even a movie based on that 1983 kidnapping called Kidnapping Freddy Heineken. That's a super creative name. I know. Burst of creativity right I have there. never heard of this. And Anthony Hopkins is in it? Mm -hmm. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, uh, they held them for a ransom mm -hmm. of 35 million Dutch guilders. And at the time, Freddie Heineken was the most wealthy businessman in the Netherlands. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, um, I did read that they, that it was paid, but they actually got kind of busted out because one of the, whoever was babysitting them, you know, whatever underboss or, you know, minion was doing this mm -hmm. made a fatal error. Yes, they made a fatal flaw. One of the kidnappers, and there were about five guys involved with this kidnapping, one of the kidnappers called for some Chinese takeout and accidentally gave away their location. So the police were able to burst into the warehouse, rescue Freddy, uh, but they, it took them a while to catch all of the criminals. But it does have a happy ending. Neither Freddy nor his driver were killed yeah. first off yeah but they were left pretty shell-shocked and i think freddie had to have a like security detail from for the rest of his life or chose to and kind of gradually withdrew from the public 
eye. He had been, you know, the the Freddie we mentioned from the 60s who would go door to door at the bars, you know, giving out samples. I think he kind of carried that persona um, later in life. And when this unfortunate event happened, I think that probably shut it down a good bit. And he sort of withdrew and really protected his family and their privacy from from that point on. Yeah. And several other people involved in the kidnapping had stories of their own. So there was a guy named Franz Major who escaped from custody in Amsterdam in 1985 and then showed back up on uh, international radar in Paraguay 10 years later where he owned a, uh, quote, down market restaurant married with three kids. And one of the other kidnappers, I appreciate that you mentioned this slow withdrawal from public life because one of the other kidnappers, a guy named Cor Van Hot. Uh, H-O-U-T, excuse me, he followed, uh, he served his jail time. He got arrested. He didn't escape. But when he got out of jail, he would still occasionally follow Freddie Heineken around and try to, like, talk trash to him. Is that weird? It doesn't seem very smart. It seems incredibly petty, too. Yeah, well, especially since he probably had some bruiser security dudes hanging out with him. I would think that would be a real quick way to get you know get your ass kicked very weird relationship i would imagine did we talk about what happened to the nose uh we have not yet the huggable criminal as the prosecutors called him. oh no way (laughs) uh yeah the prosecution during one of the trials the prosecution said that he had been described in the past as a nuffle criminal or huggable criminal due to his efforts to court the media and become a celebrity figure he even went on a speaking tour of colleges in 2012. Of course he did. <laughs> Whatever it takes. You got to hustle. So what um, happened? Yeah, well, in 87, he got sentenced to 11 years in prison for this particular crime. Um, he only served five. Wow. Um, yeah, that seems pretty, pretty light. But, you know, he didn't stay clean for, well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say what high-profile crimes he did between uh, then and now. I'm sure yeah. he probably laid low, but I have a feeling he still was up to no good. But um, an article from this article we're talking about from The Guardian Mm. is actually from February 5th of this year, and it's about a new trial uh, for the nose that has him up on charges of, of murder. Yeah, five counts of murder, one count of manslaughter, two counts of attempted murder, and the Defense is arguing that his uh, his sisters and his ex-girlfriend are conspiring to make him look bad, to stitch him up. Right, and he supposedly orchestrated a uh, hit on, on her, his sister, um, <laughs> using his cell phone, um, and the sister was able to record said calls and uh, d- distribute them to the authorities. So um, probably not... The smartest criminal, um, <laughs> you know, on the block. But, yeah, but part of a pretty interesting story involving brick beer bottles. Yes, yes, that's true. In a roundabout way. In a roundabout way. And Holly, as we are recording this, the nose himself is still the subject of media attention there in the Netherlands. So maybe we'll, we'll figure out what happens to the nose in a future episode. In the meantime... I think we should end on what happened to Freddie Heineken after the kidnapping, after attempting to change the world with this brick bottle of beer. It's like I said a little while ago, he did withdraw from uh, public life. He gave up his controlling interest in the Heineken company, 
But uh, according to this obituary from the New York Times, he he still hung around and did his kind of day-to-day thing right up until he passed away. Uh, He ceded control of the board, of which he was the chairman, to his daughter, Charlene. But he did eventually pass away from pneumonia um, at the age of 78, and that was on January 5th of 2002. And... His legacy continues on today, not just in beer, folks. He also had an active role in philanthropy, promoting science and the arts. He founded the Dr. H.P. Heineken Foundation, which awards cash prizes for pioneering work in biochemistry and biophysics. And he started another foundation in his own name in the 1980s that awards cash prizes to the sciences and the arts. So I think that's... That's one of the most beautiful things you can do as an individual. Yeah. You know, is, yeah. is pave the way for future progress. No, no, no. This guy seemed like a pretty progressive, interesting um, beer tycoon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed the story. And he seemed like a, a guy that would have been uh, an interesting dude to sit down a, and have a beer with. Have a hiney with. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we hope you enjoy this episode. I, I didn't have time to get to it today, but it reminds me of. Uh, a fascinating guy named Richard Soert, who is down in Mexico, I believe, and has built his own island entirely of reusable materials. I think we might have mentioned him in Weird People Who Built Weird Things. If we didn't, that was a missed opportunity, my friend. (laughs) Well, luckily, Noel, you and I, and you as well, fellow Ridiculous Historians, will have more and more opportunities in the future to explore strange stories throughout history. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Of course, thank you to our super producer, Casey Pegram, and thank you to our researcher, Eves Jeffcoat, who assisted us with this episode. And, of course, thanks to you for listening to the show. Uh, Please, please, please do us a solid and write us a nice and friendly review on iTunes or your pod catcher service of choice. There we go. Um, it helps the uh, the old iTunes algorithm, you know, pop us up in the rankings and make people discover the show. So if you dig it, pay it forward, friends. Yeah. Pay it forward. True story. Occasionally, if we're if we're doing well on the show, uh, the president of our company will walk by and pop a couple finger guns at us. Mm-hmm. That always feels <laughs> so good. Um, you can also reach out to us via social media. We're on Facebook. We have our Facebook group, The Ridiculous Historians. We're always hanging out, having a good time. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on the Instagrams. Instagram. Still, still p- popping around these vision boards, man. You know, we just it's a lot that goes into it. It's a collaboration. Um, for the ages. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're working on a concept album. No spoilers. No, because that's, that's what it's called. It's called that's No called, Spoilers. It's called No Spoilers, yeah. yeah. Uh, so tune in for our next episode when we explore the very strange story of the 1904 Summer Olympic Games. See you next time. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.